0: you're listening to a recent sermon from Covenant Church. For more information or other sermons like this one, you can find us at covenantchurchonline.com. And now, here's a word from our pastor, Travis Davenport. Well, I want to tell you about one of the greatest lies I've ever told. Do you want to hear about that? One of the... Somebody's clapping. Somebody said amen. That's great. (laughs) All right. That's good. All right. One of the greatest lies I ever told. When I was, I want to say, seven or eight years old. No, it's a lie. I was probably nine. Uh, When I was about nine years old, my parents, uh, Mark and Robin, Mark and Robin went out and they were doing some different things. And it was just my brother, Cody, my younger brother and I at home. And one of the things that I love to do to my brother um, was that we love to do in our house. I don't know if, you're, if, you, if you have a house like this. We lived in this ranch-style house. One of the things that you could do in this house is that you could open all the doors and make a perfect racetrack. You understand what I'm saying? Like if you open this door, the bedroom door, the bathroom door, and the other door, you can literally, literally run in a perfect circle around the whole house. You feel me? You get that? So you can imagine what we did. We chased each other, literally, for hours. And this would irritate the fire out of my mom and out of my dad, because we would break things and, and uh, because literally, we've, we've always like weighed as much as we do now, we were just shorter. Can you imagine that? Right? Just imagine that. So, uh, yeah. It was awesome. Um, so anyway, so we would open up all the doors. So this one, this one day, my parents, they, I think they were going out on a date or something like that. It was during the afternoon. And uh, they're like, all right, guys, we're going to go. And we're like, all right, I'll see you later. And in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, like, it's go time. It's, it's on. And, and I look over at my brother, and he looks at me, and we give each other these looks like it's on. We're going to run. You know, We're going to chase. And so they close the door, and we literally go prepare. We clear out obstacles. We, we move things. And there's a big piano in our living room and the piano bench, and we move that out of the way, which is a good idea. And... And we open up all the doors, and then we just start running. I don't even know. We just start running around and running around. Well, something, that, something took place in my mind, and I thought this would be a great idea. I thought if I can, if I can chase my brother fast enough, um, then I can actually pass him. I can push him, you know, and I can pass him. and he'll, he'll try and get me, and I'll just wait, and I'll trip him when he runs around the corner. And it will be hilarious. That went through my mind. And, and I saw it playing out kind of like a cartoon. You know, I saw me sticking out my leg, my brother tripping, and then him getting up and be like, ha, 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 you got me. You know, that's not how it happened at all. Uh, in fact, um, this is what happened. Um, he was running and I was like, hey, I'm really far ahead of you. You're never going to get me. And, and instead, I was just in the next room. And he came around and, and I stuck my foot out. And he didn't even see it. And he tripped and he fell and he broke his arm snapped his arm in half, literally, and he stands. So get, get this. <laughs> There's a nine-year-old boy, a seven-year-old boy, and uh, my parents are gone, and my brother is just laying there screaming. And so I run over to him, and what, the first thing, and here's where the greatest lie that I ever told comes into effect. I looked around at my surroundings, okay? And, and, I, and I thought, what could I use to get me out of trouble here? Okay? And I saw a piano bench, so I walked over, and while my brother is screaming and laying on the ground in pain, I edged out the piano bench, just edged it out a little bit, and I ran over to, I ran over to him, and I said, oh, man, are you okay? And he's like, oh, and I said, you, I can't believe you tripped over that piano bench. How did you not see that piano bench? He's like, I didn't even see it, and I was like, yeah. It's crazy how you tripped over that piano bench when you were running in the hall, and I was in the other room, and I heard it, and I came over here, and he's like, oh, you know, and, and, and so I called 911, and, and true story, my parents were actually at a restaurant, and uh, they overheard from some CB or some, some talk radio, or whatever it was, not talk radio, but it was some kind of a, <laughs> a news flash, a child has broken his arm, really important, the Davenport house, um, Overheard one of the ambulance workers because we live in a small town, and uh, had it, and they, they set our address over the, over the you know the system there. My parents were like well, what is going on, so they arrived at home to see an ambulance and their son being taken out to the ambulance. I'm like what happened? I was like Cody was running through the house. <laughs> I told him to be careful. The p- this is how it had evolved. I said I told him to be careful the piano bench, but you know Cody, you you know Cody, he just ran out and tripped over the piano bench. I ran from the other room and. They're like, I can't believe it. And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's one of the greatest lies ever told. And it wasn't until about three years ago. uh, (laughs) It's a true story. Three years ago, I, I heard a pastor preach on lying. And I was like, God, I just, you know, I was in one of those moments where I was like, God, I just... If there's any lies that, I, that I've told, that I've just never confessed. I, and I didn't even get to finish my prayer. It's like God hit me in the head. He's like, yeah, remember when you lied about the piano bench? I haven't forgotten that one. I was like, oh. So I went to my brother about three three years ago, okay? I'm 32. <laughs> and I went to him and I said, hey, I just want to let you know uh, that piano bench isn't the thing that broke your, your arm. And he looked at me. He's like, what do you mean? I said, it was my leg. And it was like... He hasn't talked to me since. It was just (laughs) one of the greatest lies I ever told. Today, we're surrounded by, you know, lies, to be honest with you. There's a lot of lies in our culture. But one of the greatest lies that has ever been told to you, to our world, one of the greatest lies that we've ever um, been coaxed into believing is that we don't have an enemy who is coming after us. You feel me? One of the greatest lies, maybe the better way to say it is this. One of the greatest lies that we've ever been tempted to believe is that Satan does not exist. One of the greatest lies that Satan tells of himself is that he is not real, that that he does not exist, that we are not in danger, that everything is fine. Are you following me? And so sometimes you talk uh, to somebody and they'll say, you you would ask them, does evil exist? And they might say yes. And you say, well, does Satan exist? exist? And they'll look at you and be like, yeah. But see, we've made Satan, we've made this very real, very literal being into more of a fictional character. You know what I'm talking about, right? We, we've turned Satan, which scripture actually describes as uh, Lucifer, a- actually describes it as um, the beautiful one. And Satan was this was this created being who would stand behind God and spread his wings and reflect God's Glory. Scripture says that he was actually very beautiful. Now, this is very different than what we've come to believe of Satan, right? We come to we we've come to believe that he's you know this little guy with a red tail with a little arrow on his tail. He's got a pitchfork. He's got that really you know it you know Italian looking mustache that little sweet mustache you know and the little you know soul patch right here. He's got horns too. You know he's a red thing. I don't know. Or maybe movies you've seen depict him as this big, ghastly, just beastly creature. Whatever, whatever you think of when you think of Satan, it, it's mostly come out of different renderings of, from artists and whatnot. But when it comes down to it, a lot of people, even maybe you, don't really believe that Satan exists. Are you following me? This is one of the greatest lies ever told, which means one of the greatest truths that we could ever know is that, yes, Satan does exist, but even greater than that, we are in a war. If you're taking notes this morning, I would write that down as point number one. We, as believers, are in a war. And so I want to start off with some really great, <laughs> encouraging, uplifting news this morning by saying this, we are in danger. You are in danger. Everything is not Okay. Everything is not fine. Maybe I could even say it better like this. You are being hunted. You are being stalked. You are somebody's prey. Scripture says that we have an enemy who's like a roaring lion, who seeks whom he may devour. And so if you're starting off your understanding... With by, by, by saying that, well, there is no enemy, there is no devil, there is no Satan, there is no force that is working against me. Number one, you can see how that already puts you at a disadvantage, correct? And so this is where many people start their day. So they say things like, oh, that's just bad karma, man. That's just karma. You know, you've got to do good things to get good things, and it all comes back to you. You know, you're going to get what you deserve, and blah, 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 like that, you know? Um... And the funny thing about karma, people are like, oh, karma's real. If you do bad things to people, bad things will happen to you. Do you know why bad things happen to you when you do bad things to other people? Because people start to hate you. That's why. (laughs) It's like logical. Yeah, but when I do good things for people, people want to like help me. Yeah, because when you do good things for people, people are like, that's a good guy. He's a stand-up guy. But if you do bad things, people are like, that guy's a jerk. I'm not helping him at all. That's not karma. That's just logical. That's just like common sense. But if you blame evil or good on karma, you're already at a disadvantage. Scripture literally says that we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but that we wrestle against evil. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood. So when you look, this is funny. When you look to your neighbor, when you look to the person next to you, you you might have some, like, feelings of contempt. Uh, I I don't know if this plays out any more than when you're, like, in seventh or eighth grade, right? And there's just, what's the big D word? Drama. Just turn to your neighbor and say "Drama." drama. Drama. Now, we like to believe that we leave that stuff in seventh and eighth grade, but Facebook has just taken us light years ahead. Into our dramatic. It's encouraged it so much. And I gotta just agree with like Mary J. Blige. She said, nope, just stop the drama. Like, no more <laughs> drama. No more, no more. Just, I'm done with the drama. And here's the problem Satan would love to keep you in a place where you have drama with the people around you. Because as long as you have drama with the people around you, you are not even in the real battle, you are just being defeated. You're in a holding pattern of defeat. Let me ask you, is that how you want to live your life? Is that how you want to be defined? How was your life? It was fantastic. I was in a holding pattern of defeat forever. No, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. But here's the other problem before we get into scripture here. We actually don't even know how to fight. We don't know how. How to fight. See, we, we do all this personal growth. Maybe. maybe you don't. Maybe you learn how to communicate, how to talk to people, how to do a job, how to do this, how to do that. But you're never even trained on how to fight. And as long as you are caught up in this battle or these fights or this, this drama with the people around you, you, you are, you're, you're just being bombarded and you don't recognize it. This is why you'll talk with people and they'll say things like, I just don't, I just don't know what's going on. It's just, I'm always anxious. I'm always anxious. I've I've always got an issue with this person and that. And you try to become a better person. You work at it. You work on your manners. You work on the way you talk, communicate. But it just doesn't get better. The reason is because it's not their problem. The problem is we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. Look at this, what it says in Ephesians chapter 6, starting in verse 10. One more time. It says, put on the whole armor of God, verse 11, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Verse 12, for we do not, as I said, wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. That's kind of intimidating, right? It's, it's kind of, in, well, what do you mean I, I'm wrestling? You are wrestling, just to put it in place, you are wrestling against an evil that is almost as old as, as, as the beginning of time. And you think, oh, it's no big deal i got this one covered. I'm just going to read a personal growth book and read a verse and I'm fine. No! You will be defeated. You will fall. You will fail. You will succumb to temptation and, and you will be left, man, just completely defeated. Are you tracking? Are you, are you following me? If I could pull back, if I could grip air, which that'd be something, but if I could grip air right now and, and pull air back, Somehow, which is ridiculous now that I'm saying it out loud, okay? I, I, I got it. I got it. If there was a way I could grip this and pull this and show you the spiritual battle that is taking place right now. You would be terrified. You'd be scared to death. There is literally a battle for your soul. And every decision that you make, and every song that you listen to, and every movie that you watch, and the relationship that you get into, there is a battle for your heart. There is a battle for your soul. And Scripture is very clear. Well, how do we, how do we fight that? Well, we're going to make a sword. No, that's not really going to help, right? Scripture is very clear, and it says it this way. Verse 13, therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. So here's the point. Scripture gives us this armor, and it's called the armor of God. Let me hear you say armor of God. The armor of God, this is powerful, this is huge, and I want you to write this down because the power of it's not going to be felt until you begin to put on the armor of God. And we're going to explain what that means in a little bit. But it's got a couple pieces of it, okay? And this is going to be kind of an interactive message because we're a little sleepy today. So I'm going to ask you to be a little interactive with me. Is that all right? Yep. We're in trouble. Good. All right, here we go. The first portion of this armor is called the helmet of salvation. Now, when you put on a helmet, what does it protect? Well, it protects your eyes, it protects your mouth, it protects your nose, your ears. But predominantly, yeah, it protects your head. It predominantly protects what's inside of your head. <laughs> That's important, your brain. When we look at this armor, when we look at this helmet of salvation. It's the first piece of the armor. And we must put on every day the helmet Of salvation, a lot of times people people want to talk about salvation, and they talk about this emotional experience, and that's good. But salvation truly takes place when it goes from an emotion to a knowledge, from emotion to a knowledge. People love—we love to live in the realm of emotion, though, don't we? Oh man, I felt it today. I was raising my hands, I was singing, and and then you walk out, and it's like lost on you. That's because you've never never made the transition from your salvation going from your heart to your mind it's something you must just you know you know and when we put on the helmet of salvation it protects our eyes it protects everything that we see so we said god protect what i see god protect what i say god protect what i hear god protect my mind so when we talk about the helmet of salvation it protects our eyes let me hear you say eyes, eyes. it protects our mouth, mouth. protects our ears, ears. It protects our our mind there we go. Protects all these aspects together. Number 2, the second piece of the armor is the breastplate of righteousness. Now traditionally Paul is writing this and he's coming from a time when he would have seen Roman warriors. And these Roman warriors would have been wearing this breastplate. They would have been wearing this armor and this breastplate would have covered from their neck all the way down to mid thighs, really. And this is for a reason. It wasn't just under here, it actually went down lower because there's something very important that a breastplate covers. Yes, it protects your heart, but it also protects your guts. Now, Paul would have known that a warrior who is out in battle, um, yeah, you could maybe take an, like, an arrow to the arm, that would really hurt but it wouldn't kill you necessarily. You could even take a a sword even even into part of your chest and it might not kill you. But if you take a sword or you take an injury into your stomach, you're good as dead, right? Now, here's the interesting thing about this breastplate of righteousness that covers our chest and our, our guts. That's what I like to say. This is a very manly piece, okay? This is like the man piece. You ready? So when it protects our heart and our guts, here's a question for you. What is one of the ways that Satan, our enemy, attacks us the most? You say, through our guts? <laughs> yes. How I many, when's the last time you heard somebody say, I just got a gut feeling about that. I just, I just feel this way. I know what God's word has said, but man, I just, I got a good feeling, right? One of the ways that Satan attacks us the most, one of the ways that our enemy attacks us the most is through our feelings. literally through our emotions. Last week, I challenged you to divorce your feelings, marry your, yourself to the identity that is Jesus Christ. And so one of the ways that Satan attacks, our enemy attacks, is through our feelings. And that affects our heart. It affects our outlook. So when we put on this breastplate of righteousness, it protects our heart and our guts. Let me hear you say it. A breastplate of righteousness protects our, our heart and our guts. That was awful. Okay? Because we're saying the word guts. We need to say it as like men would say it. Guts. I mean, like this needs to be an overpowering emphasis. So it protects our heart and our It's better. I'm gonna do it one more time. I just gotta I know I know you can do better. Okay? I know you got it in you. Okay, now down from the bottom of your gut. Let me hear. It protects your heart and your guts. That's much better. So the helmet of salvation. It becomes a knowledge. It protects what we see, what we say, what we hear in our mind. Put on the breastplate of righteousness. It protects our heart. It protects our guts. Next, the armor goes to this belt of truth. The belt of truth. Now, this doesn't just mean that we're supposed to tell the truth. Be an honest person. Don't lie about the bench that you pushed out to kill your brother almost, right? This is actually described as a person of truth. Who is truth. Christ says of himself, I am the way, the truth and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. And so when we put it this when we talk about this belt of truth, you cannot withstand. You cannot fight. You cannot enter into a war unless you literally have Christ pulling it all together. This belt of truth. Jesus is truth. And so you might have You might try to put on these other pieces. You might say, well, I'm going to protect what I see. I'm going to be careful. I'm going to try and be a righteous person. I'm going to try and not sin. But unless you have this belt of truth, unless you have Christ pulling it all together, your armor is just going to be flapping around everywhere. You follow me? Jesus Christ is always the center. Jesus Christ is always the thing that pulls it all together and holds it all in place. So we've got the helmet of salvation. protects our eyes, what we see, what we say, what we hear, our mind. We've got the breastplate of righteousness. It protects our heart and our... Yeah, there we go. All three of us, guys. And then we have the belt of truth, and that's Jesus Christ. It's not a what, it's a who. Moving on. This is one of my favorite pieces. This is one of my favorite pieces of the armor. We have... The Shoes of the Gospel of Peace. And you say, like, why in the world is that one of your favorite pieces of the armor? Because every guy loves shoes, right? I mean, come on. No. Because here's why. These are the the best shoes you have ever heard of. Uh, In this point in time in history, you have to understand how, how battles, how wars took place. There would be a whole line of the infantry. There would be thousands upon thousands of, sho- of, of, of soldiers who would be shoulder to shoulder, and they would be lined up, and they would have these shoes, okay? And I want you to think of the, a pair of, of, like, golf spikes on steroids, okay? Literally, on the bottom of these shoes, on the bottom of these sandals, there would be these spikes that would be attached to them. And these guards, these, these warriors, these, these Romans, they would, they would all stand shoulder to shoulder. And when they wanted to advance on their enemy, they would take one step like this in one accord and then bring the other foot and plant it down firmly into the ground. And because of these spikes, they could not be moved. Now, I want you to imagine what it would be like to look out and survey this, this army that is moving in one accord. Literally, and if you were to run up against them, you wouldn't be able to move them. Think about how terrifying this would be. This represents the Word of God. This represents literally standing firm and planted in the gospel. This is how we're supposed to stand. And not only that, but this represents how we're supposed to approach this world. Are you following me? One of the saddest things, I think, to me, I just got to be honest with you, is how how so often we as followers of Christ, we just think that everything's hopeless. Have you noticed that? I understand where that comes from. When you watch the news, when you read the paper, things like are not awesome right now. Things are difficult. Things are difficult around the world. There's a lot of unanswered questions. But I want you to know that the gospel Jesus Christ has never changed whoa I said the gospel of Jesus Christ has never changed and it's something that we can stand firm in it's something that we can find hope in it is truly our salvation the gospel says that there was a man named Jesus Christ who laid down his life God's only son for us so that whoever believes in him doesn't have to perish but can enter into eternity with Jesus Christ, with God the Father, that we can know God. It's the gospel. The gospel means good news. Good news. And too often we're like, man, I go to church. Yeah, yep. I go to church and then I watch the news and that kind of brings me back to reality. You need like a gospel injection. Because the gospel is is prevalent in every facet of our life. Not just here at church, but when you walk out the doors, you have an opportunity to walk in the gospel. And so the picture that Paul is is painting for us here is one where we take the gospel of peace everywhere we go. And so that we advance one step at a time because we are going to face opposition. We are going to face people that are going to want to hunt us down and hurt us and and break us. This world is going to try and do the same. But instead, when you're rooted in the gospel of Jesus Christ, what can this world do to you? When your world says to you, you are no good, you are, you are not smart, you are an ugly individual, whatever it might be, you are dumb. You might say, Well, I may be dumb, but I'm smart enough to know that if I stand right here and just continue to take steps and steps and steps in the gospel, I'm going to advance and do something amazing because of Jesus Christ. You don't have to be the most intelligent person, you don't have to be the best communicator. You just have to know who your God is, you have to trust in the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's it. And stand in it and this is how we don't succ- this is how this is what we do to not succumb to drama to not succumb to anxiety in our life oh everything is coming down on me what's going to happen i think god's got- no god hasn't gone anywhere stand firm rooted firm in the gospel of jesus christ now the other reason i like these shoes which they're pretty cool is because um these warriors will wear these shoes on the front lines not just to so they wouldn't get hit back but also that they would advance. So they would actually injure their their enemies, and then they would just walk on top of them. Isn't that awesome? Now, I mean, feel the weight of that. How awesome is that? These shoes crush the opposition, and that's what I want you to know. This is how we're supposed to look at Scripture. The Word of God crushes the opposition. Not only that, it, it doesn't even bother with it. It just walks over top of it and finishes it. That's the power. That's the strength of the Word of God. I'm excited about it. Let's keep going. Next, we have the shield of faith. The shield of faith. Turn to your neighbor and say, faith. Now, too often, we are terrified when it comes to faith, right? When, <laughs> there's two things that everybody says, don't pray for. Two things. There's two things you don't want to pray for. Number one is patience because you get stuck in traffic for four and a half hours. Right? So we don't pray for patience. <laughs> the other thing that we don't pray for is faith, because then God's going to make you do something that you don't want to do. Right, But here we see that faith is actually a shield, the shield of faith. Faith protects us. Faith is something that surrounds us. Now, if you were one of these warriors and you were fighting in this battle, you would have been carrying this big shield. Now, depending on where you stood in the ranks of battle, your shield might have looked different. But the guys in the front who were advancing on the front lines and taking the territory and moving ahead, their shields would have been from their toes to up over their heads. Because one of the things that they did with these shields is when everybody would crouch down and come in together, these shields literally formed like this impenetrable like bubble. And that there was, there was actually nothing anybody could do, you've got to think they're already rooted down into the ground, they're holding firm, they've got these shields, they're completely covered. And so archers would lean back and they would shoot these arrows and they would come and they would hit the shields, maybe they would stick in them, maybe they would bounce off, but the fact is they would not penetrate this, this bubble. This is how we're supposed to live. The faith that we have in Christ should ever be expanding. And we should be praying that God increases our faith. Do you realize that? And that might be something that you're terrified of. I understand. But we should be praying that God increases our faith. The more faith that we have in Christ, the more advancing that we can do in our walk. The more faith that we have in Christ, the more that God is able to use us. The more faith that we have in God, the more God is able to bless us. The fact of the matter is when you get out there with a shield, you have something to protect you. I want you to think of the opposite. Most people go into battle. We talked about the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, the belt of truth, the shoes of the gospel of peace, and now we talked about the shield of faith. Most Christians live in a battlefield with no armor. I want you to think about that. Now Let's put it in common day terms. I want you to think about if you woke up right now in the middle of a war, Outside, there are people actively trying to kill you. They're running down. They're, they're shooting arrows. And I know we're in a different like time. No one's shooting arrows anymore, okay? But just think if people are shooting arrows, or shooting at you, just in general. And you walk outside just to get your paper. And you walk out there in your boxers, just walking out there, hey, everybody. Hey, guys, you know. There's an active war around you. And you're just walking out there without without anything on. And yet this sounds ludicrous, doesn't it? And yet, this is how we live our lives. This is how we live each and every day. And we wonder why we're hurt. We wonder why we're depressed. We wonder why we're anxious. We wonder why we why we have difficulties and fall and fail. It's because you're walking out into a battle with no armor whatsoever. That's why. Are you you tracking? Are you falling? And so this shield is a protection agent. It's something that we put around ourselves and it protects us. Scripture actually says that we have an enemy who will shoot flaming arrows at us. Some translations it will actually say say flaming arrows of doubt. When's the last time that you really felt like you were growing in your relationship with Christ and all of a sudden you were just burdened and plagued by doubt? Are you with me? Maybe you're growing, maybe you're feeling good about your walk, and then all of a sudden you're like, wow, man, am I actually like a Christian? Did I really mean that when I prayed that? Or did I really say this, or did I say that? Or, well, man, is God really doing that? And you start to begin plag- being plagued by doubt. This is a tactical move from our enemy. Well, when you have faith, when you have faith that surrounds you, when you stretch it out and it becomes this all-encompassing force field, you can move are you following me? You can move. You can walk. You can advance. So we've got the helmet of salvation. It protects our eyes. It protects what we see, what we say, what we hear, and our mind. We've got the breastplate of righteousness. It protects our heart, our integrity, our character. And it also protects our guts. Yeah, this guy's waiting for it. Every, he's, like a, he's like a puma. He's just waiting to jump on it, man. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, it protects our guts. Then we also have the belt of truth. This is Jesus Christ. It's not a what, it's a who. Then we've got the shoes of the gospel of peace. We've got the shield of faith. And then lastly, lastly, Scripture says we have the sword of the Spirit. And the sword of the Spirit is different from all the other tools. Why? Because the sword of the Spirit is is an offensive weapon. See, all these other weapons are defensive now, not because you're supposed to be in like defensive mode running away, because all these defensive weapons are actually made to move in advancement. But the sword, the sword is different. The sword is actually when you take the battle to your enemy, when you go in for the final blow. And and crazy, listen to this. What is the sword of the spirit? Everybody say the word of God, right? That's what people will say. But here's what's interesting. We've talked about this before, but it bears repeating because it's so good. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12 says that the word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword, dividing, cutting to the very division of a man's soul and spirit, right? That word of God is talking about God's word. It's the original word, logos. But here, when it talks about the sword of the spirit, what's interesting is it uses the word rhema. Now, I know I've mentioned this before, but it's so good. The difference between the written word, logos, and the spoken word of God, rhema, It's just that. One is written and one is spoken. So apparently there is power in this battle that we can take to the enemy when we speak God's word. Let me ask you a question. When is the last time you spoke God's word over your life? When? Like, what do you mean, actually? Yeah, when is the last time that you spoke God's word over your life? We did a sermon on this a couple, I don't know, a month or two ago. We talked about having these finding your power verses. Remember that? We talked about how one of our power verses would say, you know, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. When you come up against opposition, you begin to quote these power verses. You begin to lean into who God is and who God says he is versus how your emotions and your feelings dictate. So when we start living this way, when we start living with, with, with the spoken word of God leading us into battle, our lives begin to change. Now, think about, that's just one person. Think about what it would be like if a church, if us as a church, we were to put on this spiritual armor. Think about what it would look like for you and your husband, you and your wife, you and your family, you and your kids. If you all were to put on the armor of God, now you're like, what? you mean, like, would I do this and like buckle in the back? Like, What are you talking about? I want to challenge you every single day to put on the armor of God. How do I do? Do I just pretend to put on my shoes? Like, what are you talking about? No. Every single morning when you wake up, one of the first things that you should do is put on the full armor of God. I mean, Scripture says that. It says, finally, my brothers, put on the full armor of God. There's an active term here, put on. It's something we're supposed to do. So this is how I want you to pray. If you're taking notes this morning, this is what I would encourage you to write down. Put on the armor. First thing in the morning when you wake up, you say, God, today, put on me the helmet of salvation. Protect what I see. Protect what I say. Protect what I hear. Protect my mind. God, this morning, put on me the breastplate of righteousness. Protect my heart. Protect my emotions, my feelings. God, this morning, would you, would you wrap it all together, tie it all together, bring it together, put on me the belt of truth, which is Jesus Christ. Everywhere that I go, let me be like Jesus. Everyone that I talk to, may, may I be like Christ. God, this morning, would you put on me the shoes of the gospel of peace. May I stand firm in your gospel. May I not be moved. May I advance the gospel into this lost world. God, would you give me the shield of faith. Would you increase my shield? Would you increase my faith? Would you surround me with faith so that I can stand there, so that I can actually stand up to opposition? And God, finally, would you give me the sword of the Spirit? Lord, let me, let me lead the way into this dark world. And I want you to know, church, when you do this, are you following me? When you do this, your world will change. Your word, And I'm not just saying, your world will change. When you walk out, you will feel empowered because you have prepared for the battle. This is what we do. This is how we are to live. But most Christians won't do it. And we'll wonder why we're upset. We'll wonder why we feel defeated. We wonder why we fall and we fail. It's because you're not entering into the war zone to the battle properly and proper attire you were not listen to me church Christian you were not meant to be defeated do you get that you're you you do not you you serve a God who doesn't understand defeat you get that we, we've come to grips with ourselves thinking like oh yeah I fall and I fail and, and God has never failed ever so, if you're like defeat to God, God's like, I, don't, I just win. All I do is win. All I do is win, win, win. That's all I do. I'm sorry. And you're like, oh, second place is for. No, no, no. God's never come in second place. He just takes the gold every time. All he does is win. And yet we've settled for defeat in our life. I want you to know that you serve a God who is greater than everything. Therefore, you are, you are privileged to have this relationship with God. Therefore, you should advance. You, you are not called to be defeated. You are not called to run backwards. If you were created to run backwards, you'd have eyes that would move around the side of your head so that you could see backwards. They've got those running competitions like competitive backwards running. Have you ever seen something so stupid? Just you two have you ever seen anything so here we go guys we're going to oh yeah we lost another one to a tree because you can't see in the back of your head that's why you're not meant you're not meant to turn back you're not meant to to go backwards you're built to advance you're built to move forward you're built to take the gospel to the world this is how we are to live and we serve a god who has called us to do it and he's equipped us to do it but you have to take the first initial step of putting on this armor. Thanks for listening to this recent sermon from Covenant Church. If you made any type of decision today after hearing this message we'd love to hear from you please contact us at at mystoryatcovenantchurchonline.com and check back regularly for more exciting and impactful sermon audio just like this.